0: The craft beer industry is growing, but it's growing small single digits. And for years, probably eight-ish years in a row, it's growing strong double digits. Then it crept down to like nine, six, five, four. So we're hovering on four or five percent right now. Beer overall is down just a tick. So even though you're seeing an explosion of the different breweries on the grocery shelf, that shelf space isn't increasing. So we're all there are there are thousands more of us trying to get on that shelf and it's not increasing So the pie slices have just gotten smaller and smaller so the competition is really tough um, so we've had to get a lot more focused on how we compete and it's made us a better company
1: and that was leo wong ashburn she's the president and family owner of highland brewing which is one of Asheville's oldest and largest breweries here in town
2: And this is the Making It in Asheville podcast, a podcast where the two of us sit down with someone like Leah and ask them what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville.
1: And we're your host, Sarah and Tony.
2: And we are thrilled to present this episode with um, the first Asheville beer that I ever drank. Uh, Probably a lot of people, like the Gaelic Ale is iconic Asheville beer. Uh, Highland was, I think, the first legal brewery since Prohibition in Asheville. They've been through all of the ups and ups and ups of the Asheville uh, beer scene and explosion. Um, And along that kind of 25-plus year history, there's been a lot of changes and a lot of growth and a lot of, um, I'd say, excitement. And we get to hear all about it from Leah, the daughter of the founder and current president
1: yeah we talk a lot about her transition into the company which was founded by her father um, I think during the 90s and it wasn't until you know 20 years later that she actually came in and became the president of the company and and had sort of a say in what was going on so it's very interesting to hear her her side of the story of um, all the changes that she's seen over the years
2: certainly and the two that kind of stand out from the conversation is the rebranding process that um we've only since moving to Asheville only really known the new highland uh yeah. brand identity um but all that went into that uh rebrand and then uh this kind of i'd say huge milestone of finally making a, another move towards a a new location in Asheville so the highland like compound i'll say uh in kind of east asheville is gigantic and they've been doing incredible work there over the years but this is the first step towards a new location right in downtown
1: yeah it's one of the more i think unique aspects of their business strategy is that they they're more than just a brewery they are a location and a place where people can go and they've, they've built this community of um family and friends that can you know enjoy this space and the experience at Highland Brewing, and I think the, their new market, which is going to be in the SNW building downtown, uh, is just an extension of that. And it's going to be great to have them downtown.
2: Perfect. And so, uh, without really further ado, uh, we'll we'll get you into episode 33.
1: Yes, this is our final interview of season two, and we're really excited to share with you.
2: Perfect. So, Leah Wong-Ashburn, president of Highland Brewing. Enjoy. So, where are we? Who are you? All that fun <laughs> stuff, and then more meaningful conversation questions come up.
0: So, we're in the tap room at Highland Brewing Company in East Asheville, and. Um, I am Leah Wong-Ashburn, President and CEO and second-generation family owner of Highland Brewing.
2: Thank you for having us. And it is a beautiful, big space. We're here in the morning, so if you hear fun crashes and bangs, that's because this is a fully (laughs) operational tap room.
0: Yeah, forklifts, fire alarms, you never know
2: what might happen in here.
1: (laughs) There's sound equipment behind us. It's Yeah, it's a whole thing. So imagine, you know, we're looking at this now, and this is... Incredible, everything that you have built. But what I kind of want to back up to is the story of how all of this got started. And I know that's probably a lot to to tell, but could you tell us the story of Highland Brewing? I would love to. Uh, We were the first
0: brewery, first legal brewery (laughs) in Asheville since Prohibition. Uh, Western North Carolina is really good at making (laughs) non-legal beverages, too, so I should specify. Um, And we started downtown in 1994 in a basement. Um, My father was a founder, and he started with a brewing partner and a brewing assistant. Um, but this is my dad's sort of second career slash failed retirement gone wild. Um he's had a ball with this company for twenty five years and uh so so we kind of began Asheville's path in the beer industry, the beer economy that has followed, um the beer culture that is here that, that I think a lot of people are still really excited about.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And and at the time, what was the impetus for him? to to start a brewery? Was it like, oh, I'm noticing other people are doing beer. This seems cool. I'm going to do it. Or was it something else that maybe was...
0: It was really... uh, He took a chance, a really big chance. He risked his retirement in starting this company um, and lost a chunk of it with a restaurant that he had for a short period of time back Mm -hmm. before brew pubs were cool. Um, But the brewery itself, yeah, was this really fun venture. He's an engineer by trade and had his own company. Sold that company and kind of took a break for about 4 years and he and my mom were visiting Asheville a lot and just started to fall in love with the culture here the people the mountains and he learned a few things about this place that led him to this idea of a brewery um he learned that the water is amazing here mm. he learned that there were two wine spectator awards that had been won by Asheville companies but there was so little going on downtown. Like downtown was mostly boarded, covered up. You know, there's like vinyl over beautiful Art Deco structures. It was really yeah. in a slump. And, and this is
1: like, sorry, just for timing, 25 this was 20 years 20 ago. 5, 30 25, 30 years ago.
0: So, But this was probably true in the, like, at least the 80s into the 90s. Right, yeah. Maybe even the 70s. So Asheville had a 50-year history of paying off debt after the Depression. And it kind of made everything come to a standstill as far as developing the city. And so the buildings, the Art Deco buildings here and everything else were sort of preserved in that standstill. That becomes an asset 50 years later um, when that debt was finally paid off. So there were these um, great examples of architecture around town. There's a culture that's been influenced by the Scots-Irish heritage. And, um he just saw between you know those the natural resources and the culture um the deeply embedded arts um everything that is handcrafted is so valued here, and those two awards that there there was this like bubbling up of like real pride in this city that that he thought maybe could be uncovered
2: hmm. I love it, and it seems like he guessed correctly but so I mean 25 years and uh, I don't know what the internet says but you know tw- tw- um, maybe 30 or so other beer companies now exist in Asheville right. so like Spearpoint, this thing that's huge now um, and there have to have been a ton of steps between then and now uh, so it was downtown um, you know uh, is it is the market like? Is it easy to start a brewery in Asheville <laughs> legally? Like, I can't imagine. But but you know, about thirty have done it. So, like, what makes Asheville compelling for a brewery? Is it the same reason why your dad started twenty five years ago or so?
0: Um, I I think it's different since he was the first. You know, no one knew how to even permit a brewery at the time. So the legislative, the regulatory part was really confusing. Um, took a long time everybody was like to permit a what you know we don't we, you're gonna make your own beer isn't that something that you just buy at the store or weird people make at home like it was not a common thing so um, there was that piece and uh, but he still felt like there was potential here and I it is completely different now to open a brewery we opened as a distributing brewery mm. there was not a, a you know, a guest area, a tap room, certainly not any food. And we still don't have our own food at the brewery. We have these wonderful food trucks that come every day. And if you open a brewery today, it is a tap room. You don't distribute. And 99 times out of 100, you have food on site, too. So yeah. completely different business model from the start.
2: Wow. wow. I just, the, the courage, I mean, I, I I think about it. I don't know what the equivalent Would be today like what industry is poised for a gigantic boom in twenty five you know over the next twenty five years? But the I I feel it just seems like there would have to be by necessity so many things to learn. Whereas like people podcast, we could Google it, you know. Like and Google wasn't a thing, right? So like my it's hard for my mind to even conceive of all of the steps that would need to be figured out. And it's amazing that he did. Um, how about like the fast track of the 20 or so years until you took over? What what happened? What things are like the mile markers in that journey?
0: Wow. Uh, well, the ones that first come to mind are moving from the basement to this location. Mm-hmm. So that happened in 2006. And um, Dad had looked at a few different locations But this building, which had been several things, and most recently a movie production studio, of all things, um, this building is huge. It's 180,000 square feet. It, um, It has... Good bones, but it was in severe disrepair. I mean, there were trees growing through the floor. There was mold. There was asbestos. Like you name it, <laughs> the problem in a structure, and we had it. It was just a mess. So we got part of the building where our brewing is done now, our main brew house, all the tanks, um, high ceilings over there were necessary. Mm-hmm. So we took over just a small section of the building, maybe twenty thousand square feet. So we moved from, I think it was about twelve thousand square feet downtown. Okay. Um. Still. Although that sounds large, that does um. sound pretty big <laughs> <For> the time. <laughs> so one section of this building, and our our staff was asking for a tap room, and Dad never really wanted to get into retail, but people were showing up here, and mm. that's one of the beautiful things about craft beer is that people want to know the people behind the beer. They know there's a story. Um, they know that it's that it's a product that people have taken time to create themselves. There are more hands in this process and um and individual brains and stories and so i love that people want to know us so why don't we make that easier why don't we give them a comfortable place to sit and restrooms and places where the dog can sit outside with them and so the tap room became an expansion of uh, the brewing area and then we added the meadow i don't even know what year that was um and then in the last three years or so, we added a private event space with a mezzanine and an amazing rooftop bar. Stunning. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: So we have not done anything yet that I can think of in the meadow, but that we were at the Biblio Brew, and I don't know what we had expected, but it was, like, thousands of times cooler and bigger <laughs> and more beautiful yeah. than what I mentally had modeled for, like, a event space in a brewery i just couldn't have imagined the scale that's going on here and um especially that like rooftop view was breathtaking for thank me. you yeah.
0: it's, cool. it's it's a really special location and um one of our strongest stories about sustainability is really this location so um you know finding something that's five minutes away from downtown Asheville, a 40 acre property yeah. um, and we didn't level another hillside you know th- this was already here, so we breathe life back into it. It's it takes love every day, um, and you know we're still painting things and paving things and um, just improving this whole structure. But it's piece by piece, and mm-hmm. so the the story continues um, about this property and what we can do with it. So it's been it's been frustrating at times, um, scary a moment or two. There was fake dynamite on the property once. We didn't know it was fake uh, that caused. A lot of heartache oh and police goodness. to be called. Yeah. Um, it was a movie prop. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no way. <laughs> it just took a few minutes to figure
0: it out. Oh my uh, and a couple of white-faced people, including my husband, who yeah. is our general contractor, and he was <laughs> ashen when he came to my office. He's like, we got to evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, uh, so, I yeah, it's imagine. been many adventures uh, in this building. Just, uh, It's been through a lot. Um, but we love being here, and, uh, and we know it's special, and so continuing to improve it is really exciting. So, we're like, right now we're working on trails around the property, oh, and cool. we have this beautiful stream. Gaseous Creek runs right through our property, uh, We just did a major improvement to control stormwater. And so if we can t- kind of tell that story of water and um, doing environmentally safe improvements to the watershed – uh, a really large watershed that hits our property, um, an old rail bed, and talk about the railroad history in the area because right outside on our deck, about 50 feet from where we're sitting, used to be where they would take the engines and fix them. Wow. So the, the another track runs right under our front porch.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I feel like you can come here and feel like you've, like— gone on a hike you know like you, people come to Asheville to go hiking and you can really come here and like see the mountains and walk outside and kind of feel the nature without going very far and you have fear so that's right that's that's great. yeah well yeah. said <laughs> yeah I love that um I'd love to know a little bit more about the story um of how you came into the business so I read a little bit about it was kind of you going back and forth where you wanted to be a part of the business and then your dad wanted you to be a part of the business and it never quite, you know, was the right time. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah.
0: that story? Yeah, this is a, a funny story. 16 years condensed to one minute or so. <laughs> um, so he opened the brewery when I was about 24 and a few years later I asked for a job because I thought it would be pretty easy and definitely fun to sell this beer. I was living in Charlotte at the time, about two hours away. And uh, dad turned me down flat just he had no need for me at the time and I didn't know anything so that was it was a really great decision looking back and I, I did find my own way I found a great career in Charlotte doing something totally different I was working with teachers and students and kind of an educational sales position that I loved and about eight years into that um, I was really hitting my financial goals I was you know one of the top individual offices in the country for that company. Um, and it was great. And dad offered me that job that I had asked for. So that should have felt great. And it did did feel good, but I did, I declined the job Hmm. because I would have taken, he would have paid me about a quarter of what I was making at the time. And I was really, you know, if you're, when you're like, single independent woman. I was in my thirties and I was like making it happen. And to give that up, even for the coolness of a brewery that is family owned, 75% pay cut was like just not in the math that that didn't work out. So it was another eight years of discussions before um, I, that, that job was great, but it began sort of testing my patience more than my intellect. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was getting a little bit repetitive. I'd done it for 13 years and I met my husband and he, he (laughs) he has always been a beer guy. I met him at a beer dinner. Uh, and he was, because he was a frequent customer at a local bottle shop. So he was already well into the beer industry and he just thought this was the coolest thing ever. And having his support in making that kind of financial decision Mm -hmm. for, for what became our life together, I needed his support in that, so that was a a big step toward me coming to Highland.
2: Wow. And how long ago was the first step into Highland? Did you come in as CEO? I did not. uh, Would never have done that. It's
0: a great question. Um, I came in as a sales rep, still Mm -hmm. living in Charlotte, worked for about a year and a half, covering Central and Eastern North Carolina. We were a completely different company, and this was in 2011. Mm -hmm. We did not have annual business plans. We did not have an approach to chain sales. We had a sales team of two or three people. Uh, it just just light years different from the sophistication that we have now. and We've had great leadership and amazing sales team members that have made that happen. So I did that, like, but it was a completely different job. And uh, then I started coming up to Asheville more and more regularly. And the air mattress at mom and dad's started to get uncomfortable. And so we rented a place up here and I became, I uh, started to a marketing role, became VP and then president in January of 2015.
2: Wow. And so just because I, titles are funny things, um, especially in like bigger businesses, how are CEO, president, vice, like w- not everyone operates with those titles. What role is a CEO? It seems silly. What role is a president?
0: To me, it's it's figuring out where the company is going to go and sharing that message with the company so that we're all working toward the same thing. And uh, it took me a while to wrap my arms around that. When I first became president, my father said, make this company your own. I've, I've been leading it for a long time. I want you to really lead this. So whatever stamp you want to put on it. And I was terrified by that. So filling his shoes, you know, figuring out his, his two decades of history here and how I was going to carry forward something that that so many people already knew. Um, so it took a while, but it, we have made major changes since then that have been really exciting and, and very collaborative so between our our entire team, our management team and our leadership team with dad's encouragement like i i think i've made a stamp. <laughs> yeah.
1: What what kinds of things have you you know put into place since you've come in as president? Well,
0: um, i not that i'm taking credit for it because we have revolutionized our beer lineup and i do not direct that. And I think it's really important to know. I, I don't brew, yeah. so my my life is in the hands of other people who are professional brewers and quality scientists and packaging experts every day. Um, so that is that sort of puts me in um, a place where I try to express gratitude and respect for everybody's role at the company. So, um, so what they're doing, if that can filter into our bigger goal of elevating, celebrating, cultivating beer, great business, people, and place, then, then I think we're doing the right thing.
2: Love it. Um, and so when we look around this space, right, so a little bit of homework, Tells us that the, the logo isn't maybe what it looked like 25 years ago. Not even a little. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, maybe like some concrete examples of the evolution in the business, right? So you talked about the beer lineup evolving, um, logo, branding, messaging, things like that, um, and, and then we can ask follow-up questions, but any concrete examples awesome. of changes.
0: Yeah, so uh, another way that... The brewery has changed under my leadership, which sounds so, like, selfish. During Uh, during my tenure. During my tenure. That's much better. Thank you. Uh, So we changed the brand about a year and a half ago. Mm. And I went into the exercise thinking we would take, like, the Wendy's, Starbucks, John Deere approach and make minor adjustments to update the uh, the brand equity that we already had in the market, and I threw around some marketing terms, and you know, was thinking that we'd make these little tweaks, and then we took a deep dive, which I am so thankful for, and would encourage anyone else who is really looking at their brand. Like if you're if you're thinking you might need a change, like be willing to make a major change. Did because you, did
2: you do this internally, or was this no? Okay, so.
0: Like, well, kind of yes and. (laughs) So we we did work with an outside company that has ties to Western North Carolina. The owner of the company spent every summer here of his life. And he knew Highland in the basement and he knew Highland on the hilltop. And uh, so we we took a deep dive with all kinds of research from a Nielsen study, staff study, uh, customers and fans. And they did their own research of the branding company. So it really, it pointed us to the fact that we're Asheville's pioneering brewery. And we're continuing to create a path that led us to this sort of simplified compass with a stylistic H in the middle. And we are proud and thrilled and love our home in Asheville. So we've got mountains in the background of our year on beers.
2: You know what? I've seen the logo uh, thousands of times now. I didn't necessarily pin the compass. I saw it as like a star and I love I love that I got to hear about what the logo is because that makes, per- like, that makes perfect sense. There is a logical narrative there. Dang.
0: And I am totally fine with people not seeing a compass yeah. when they look at it because I want it to be impactful mm-hmm. and then I want it to have an authentic story behind it. Yeah. I certainly didn't want to have like north, south, east, west. <laughs> like that's been yeah. done a it's million too times. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do it differently. Let's do it in a modern way. Let's make it impactful and mm-hmm. then you can always learn more.
2: I also like. I always my my dad was in corrections. I have a family in in like law, and I always thought it was like a little bit like a badge, like the yeah. sheriff in town. So
1: that
2: was, you know, you see what you're used to, I guess. But that's yeah. really beautiful. I love that. What can may
1: ask? What was the branding before or the logo before? It was a
0: Scottish guy, mm-hmm. red beard, beer in his hand, uh, bagpipes the funny little hat with the pom-pom on top, mm-hmm. the whole deal. And the background was always a tartan, and the tartan would change. And that that whole branding was perfect when we opened in 94, mm-hmm. and we had one beer, and it was called Gaelic Ale. Yeah. It's still our flagship, but we're very tied to the Scots-Irish culture and history in this area, um, and we will always keep that with our name. But it was definitely time to make a change, and I, our whole company has just just totally... Um, engaged and surrounded themselves around this new look and it's really given us new energy it's been awesome
2: yeah. that's so funny i again I, I feel like i'm i'm looking right at it and i missed it highlands i just the first time i drank the gaelic ale we were in a town called highlands which i i'm like a yankee right i'm a, i'm from the <laughs> north i don't know anything and then uh we went from you know from atlanta to highlands north carolina yes right yeah mm-hmm. uh, beautiful little town for, for mm-hmm. a wedding and they had Gaelic ale. And I just imagine Highlands was Highlands. Like, it was, somehow it was like, oh, look, it's a cute little beer company from this town <laughs> in North Carolina. And then, so like, naive. And then, my, you know, <laughs> then you spend a little bit of time around and you realize that that's not true. But I didn't pin Highlands and Gaelic back to, like, the Scots-Irish mm-hmm. narrative. And if I had done probably some homework, it would have already happened, except for it happened right now. Have fun.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and we moved so uh, in so many different directions. Our, our, our company just evolved so much after having Gaelic Ale, and none of the other beers we make have a Scottish name, mm-hmm. and the beers aren't, they're not like Scottish ales mm-hmm. either. So having a 100% Scottish brand didn't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was okay
1: as long as we were willing to change it. I love that. Thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. story. And um, what have been some of the challenges that you're or, or what are some of the challenges that you're facing right now as a company? Well, I think I could speak to all brewers and say that there are a lot of breweries out there. Yeah. So that's been
0: an amazing thing to see. So when we opened, there were probably 600 brewers in the country yeah. and now there are about 7,400 Wow. So an 11, 12-fold increase. So it's just amazing. And there is strength that comes from that. Um, Asheville has a beer economy, and it is the fifth top five reason to come to Asheville is for beer tourism. So that's pretty amazing.
2: I would have had it at one or two. What could possibly uh-huh. be higher? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do have pretty amazing things yeah. like the Blue Ridge <laughs>
0: Parkway and Biltmore and... Uh-huh. Um, the culinary scene, so There's
1: lots of, lots of great. People reasons say to they're be here. coming for yeah. those things, but they're coming no. <laughs> they're coming for the beer, dungeon. okay
2: But yeah, no, I mean, so I did a little bit of reading in the space and like barrel-aged stout and selling out and uh, like the Goose Island story. Um, it the the growth in beer is almost I don't I can't think of markets like it, um, and beer aisles are looking more like wine selections in, in cities especially in Asheville, like there are pretty big I'm thinking of what's it called tasties mm-hmm. Tasty's got so many beers I've never seen more beer <laughs> in like one in one space so how I, Sarah kind of pointed in this direction but I imagine selling beer 25 or 15 or 10 years ago as a you know air quotes micro brew you, you had to do probably different levels of educating. Then today, what kind of changes have happened and like how mm. what's different mm-hmm. about selling beer as a, um, you know, the biggest and oldest dog mm-hmm. on the hilltop here. But like uh, I imagine the, the customer has changed a lot and I'm wondering how that affects the business.
0: Well, there's so much to say to that because really um, the the craft beer industry is growing, but it's growing small single digits. Mm. And for years, probably eight-ish years in a row, it's growing strong double digits. Then it crept down to like nine, six, five, four. So we're hovering on four or five percent right now. Beer overall is down just a tick. Mm. So even though you're seeing an explosion of the different breweries on the grocery shelf, that shelf space isn't increasing. So we're all, tr- there, are, there are thousands more of us trying to get on that shelf and it's not increasing. So the pie slices have just gotten smaller and smaller. So the competition is really tough. Um, so we've had to get a lot more focused on how we compete and it's made us a better company for sure. We've, we've really come so far in a short period of time with how we approach our sales. And I'm, I'm delighted with the, the effort and focus that the team's given. Um, the success that they've seen, the branding helped that. Um, so we all, you know, again, like coming from different directions, our brewers make incredibly consistent beers. We've always been known for consistency. So that's a, a big piece of um, how we go to market. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a wild time. I will I will say that for sure. My dad never imagined there would be 30-plus breweries in Asheville alone.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I, so this is kind of a piggyback, but how has... What effect has, you know, the Anheuser-Busch or the InBev's or whatever? And I don't know how they're connected to Asheville. So this is uh, truly a question. How has that affected this market? Um, I know that there has to have been massive changes in, in uh, craft beer generally. Um, but how has it affected kind of the southeast or Asheville specifically?
0: Um, well, we, we did have one local brewer that sold to Anheuser-Busch Inbev. Um, and, and that caused a lot of fervor. Um, but that's kind of, I would say died down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, people are making their own decisions about, you know, what beer they like and where they want to go. And Um, we, we're independent. We're going to try and stay that way as long as possible, but it is, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It certainly is a, a tough road because we don't have money coming in from, directions and we've always got more ideas than money. That's good. I would hate for it to be the other way around. Um, I don't want to run out of ideas, but, uh, it's, it's, I think that we've got a great base of fans who love to see us grow. So we are constantly chipping away. We're not going to revolutionize and turn this into like the Emerald Palace overnight. But this kind of constant change, constant navigation of what's authentic to Highland, what's going to feel great to Asheville, mm-hmm. um, how do we contribute to new stories all the time about our evolution? Like that's that's kind of what we're going for. So it'll it'll just keep happening, and we've got this new chapter that we just announced yesterday. Yes, your timing is awesome. <laughs> yes. yeah.
2: So uh, that's very exciting, and just. This might not be in the podcast specifically, but we're again planning uh, like a December-ish launch of this right. specifically. Right. So uh, we are entering a new phase for Highland, it seems, or at least a another check in the in the long story in the what's the timeline timeline? Another check yeah. in the timeline. It's a very exciting time, it seems.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another landmark is coming in spring 2020. So. We have, for the first time, accepted an invitation to build a second taproom, and I have had no interest in doing that um, from any number of cities over the years, but we came across this confluence of really amazing things. So there's a a beautiful Art Deco building in downtown Asheville that is really one of the most iconic places in town, and it is owned by the grand-nephew of the architect of that building. He wants to have authentic Asheville-owned businesses in that building, like the best of Asheville in there. And he invited us, Highland, to have a tap room in that building. Along with that, they're going to have a highly curated food hall. So Marwan Irani, who's the owner of Chaipani, Spice Walla, just incredible person, businessman, visionary, he is going to collect, and maybe by the time this airs, we will have uh, our food purveyors, mm-hmm. um, wonderful Asheville products that are sort of going to bring their, the best of the best to this food hall. Um, so we are just so delighted to work with incredible entrepreneurs, um, Asheville influencers, if you mm-hmm. will, from the 1920s, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and Highland being part of that in the 1990s when we opened downtown. So we're, we're coming back to downtown.
1: Very exciting. So exciting. I'm curious to know, you said, you know, you've said no to opening other tap rooms in their location. How did you make that decision? Uh, You know, it it seems like it's very hard to say no when you have so many different opportunities and directions you can go. And how do you decide where you're going to go next?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's it's very... um, common right now for successful breweries to open another location and um, and I know that there's value in that they're seeing success what felt right for me um, is to recognize the specialness of our home location so it is so unusual to have a hilltop with a rooftop bar we can fit 3,000 people in our meadow this room that we're in today holds a few hundred people so we have this amazing place and I don't I didn't want to dilute our efforts and our focus at the same time, when this opportunity came around, it was something that can really add um, to our story. It's it's this amazing place to showcase the quality of our beer mm-hmm. in this quality location, and there are so many people downtown that I would love to make it easier for them to experience Highland, mm-hmm. and um, and then I want them to also come over yeah. to our <laughs> hilltop.
2: <laughs> yes, so like. I think that that makes a lot of sense. My mind is imagining the space, and I, you know, I don't know if I can, but I'm imagining that if you had to do it alone in downtown and open just a standalone, hey, this is Highland Downtown, it would mean a lot of different things as a business than going in on some, on this the idea of a, um, What is the right word for this space? It's going to be a A food food hall. Food hall, food hall. hall. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so um, the idea of a food hall, you get to be the beer people in the food hall. And that, it sounds like it would, if it was a standalone Highland Brewery in downtown, would you have said yes? I don't think so.
0: I I don't. I think that's a great point. I love that we have the opportunity to stick to our area of expertise Mm -hmm. And then be surrounded by other people whose areas of expertise, I, I mean, why would I do food if there's somebody like Marijuana Ronnie <laughs> who is willing to do food with yeah. us? Yeah. I mean, that's just uh, the, the combination of factors there is it just it creates something new that is so much stronger than yeah. what we could create on our own. And I am I'm OK with that. Um, we get to keep making beer.
2: I think that makes a lot of sense. We're of the mind um, that like cross pollination makes for a healthier Everything and right. I think having cool people like Mirwan and Spice or Bucks and Hull, whoever ends up being in there, uh, is only going to share equity across those brands and make more people know about Highland if that's even possible. Like, I feel like if you come to Asheville, you know about Highland, <laughs> you know about uh, La Zoom because they, they, oh, show awesome. yeah. they show up on everything, yeah, they show you can't miss them when you're downtown. <laughs> um, but it is, uh, That does seem like a very, very special opportunity. And we're excited for 2020 with or without that, but especially now with that. Yeah. And that's, I mean,
1: it's, it's like the first time, I mean, so we we lived in New York and I'm from Atlanta and there are food halls there, you know, there's Pond City Market in Atlanta, there's Chelsea Market and tons of other places in New York. So this is really cool because this seems like the first time that something like this is happening. It is in it's Asheville's
0: first food hall, and it's done kind of in Asheville style. So instead of having something huge, and this is still a really small yeah. city. There's something like ninety thousand mm-hmm. residents here, and so something that is that is highly curated, that really celebrates um, the 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 skill and the love of the culinary industry here, mm-hmm. um, along with its roots in craft beer, is just. Awesome to me, and this in the 1920s when Asheville boomed. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's such a great history there that uh, Asheville is one of the best examples of art deco art deco architecture in the country. So we get to kind of have a presence with that, and um, all the stories come together.
2: Love it. I love that, and I love that building. So oh yeah, gosh. very exciting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I want to know a little bit about your marketing efforts. We. Um, Tony and I have a very small marketing agency and and we come from marketing backgrounds. Uh, What kinds of things are you focusing on right now in terms of marketing and outreach? Uh, So we have so much going on uh, that it's hard to say. So we just, (laughs) we, I mean, what, I I guess if you can speak to the strategy, right? Like, I I think um, it seems like you have a really strong PR strategy and a really strong community strategy as well. Um, I can speak to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So around our community strategy, we have taken some great leaps recently and kind of refined where our values are and, and then chose uh, partners in the community Mm -hmm. that really fit well into those values. So we have five areas that we focused on. So our areas of focus are people in need, animal welfare, cultural resources, natural resources, health and wellness and so there are five organizations that uh, we kind of came with a plan and said here's a value we can provide does this feel good to you how can we work together um and so it's it's beer and time and money and website mentions and social media and all of these things so we do a volunteer day at each of those five organizations and it feels so good
2: and those seem to come through i mean even just being in this space and then what about like so, um, I know that Gary Clark Jr. played here recently.
0: Oh, my God. He was amazing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: like, what is... How does that fit into this strategy? Because it seems to me... Like, we don't have kids. or We're getting married. We don't have kids yet. Um, but this seems like if I were, you know, five years in Asheville, have a three-year-old, I want to be in that meadow and have, like, a beer on a Saturday or a Sunday so badly. Then you do things like... Gary Clark Jr. Right, like how that's—it just seems like that's a a whole other potentially thing. It is. is. It? It's, yeah. a,
0: it's a completely different thing and a super exciting thing. So we had three thousand people here or so for Gary Clark Jr. Who rocked everyone's world, and it's it's amazing to have the meadow transform into a music venue. So another stage is pulled in in front of our you know, daily, small, perfectly fine stage. So we have all the this huge structure in there and then lights are bouncing off the trees that line the meadow. We've got multiple bar stations. So it, the, the excitement, but also the comfort Mm. Out there is incredible. I mean, you can still stand in the back and stretch your arms out. And you can dance wildly by yourself if that's <laughs> what you want to do. So um, that kind of draw for so many people, that means that we're pulling in folks from outside of Asheville, from multiple cities mm. um, to come and see us. And maybe they wouldn't come here otherwise. Um, so we're doing a handful of those big shows every year, um, partnering with the Orange Peel. And that's been really wonderful. Um, they've got just great uh, reach to amazing talent Mm -hmm. and um and then the rest of the time pretty much we're the super family friendly Um, we've got some adult areas and some more kid focused areas so the meadow like yeah bring the kids bring the dogs let them run um and then on the roof we try to make that sort of over 21 Mm -hmm. um, give people sort of different experiences and let people enjoy their beers however they want
2: i love it
1: yeah and that seems like a really important part of of just the strategy in general the fact that this isn't just a place where you can come and just drink beer it's more than that right there's there's events there's things happening there's markets in the meadow and all these other yeah, know, things yeah Sarah, that's
0: actually one of the most important things to my view of the brewery is is that i don't i don't want people to drink beer all day long would we make more money absolutely but that's not how That's not a healthy approach to beer. Um, I think beer is a natural, you know, people collector and a celebration. Um, You can also, you know, good to share a beer over sorrow. but (laughs) But what I love is for the brewery to be an expression of how I was raised and my family. And so we can do that by building trails on the property. We do that by having bees on the roof who are making copious amounts of honey. Wow. Um, cool. So kind of doing things that are, you know, our solar array, which is globally ranked. So there's, there's efforts around the brewery that, that are um, sustainable, that are, um, that apply to a balanced lifestyle. And that's, that's how my family is we've always taken walks we've visited state parks and I want kind of multitudes of experiences to be available at the brewery it's
2: and, great and they are so that's, that, that's <laughs> more thing. to come here yeah, right? and one of the so it seems it's outside in right so we're still very new in Asheville um, but it seems like there's there seems to be a tendency towards collaboration in Asheville. So um, it'll be in the past by the time this comes out, but Chow Chow, which I would have assumed was like a staple thing. It just always happens. It seems incredibly well, you know, publicized, if nothing else. Um, How do you think about partnerships in Asheville? I know that you you just mentioned the like nonprofit partners or community partners. But how do you think about business partnerships in Asheville?
0: I think it's just how we roll. I I was just mentioning the beehives on our roof and the local company that has the beehives. Bee Charmer? Yes, thank you. Um, And the ladies that own it are wonderful. And uh, when they were brand new to town, we invited them to be part of sort of a... um, multi multi multi-business maker event that was in the tap room and the convention and visitors bureau was part of that or they're putting it together Ah. so it was fantastic and we've remained friends with them since so they asked if they could put hives on our roof and i was like absolutely that's the coolest thing ever and then they painted them to look like our beer cans and made them love (laughs) made (laughs) me love them even more so um yeah. So that's one business collaboration. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're using Spice Wallace Spices in two of our year-round beers, that's a local company. Um, and so, you know, collaborating with other people's areas of expertise, which is sort of the approach with the S&W project, it can, be, can be of value in so many areas. So like thinking creatively and continuing to find those opportunities is really fun for us. We love doing it. And this is such a caring community. Like Asheville is filled with people that, that are giving to others that are thinking of others. And we can, we can always improve. Like this is not, not a perfect place by any means, but it is a very um, mindful place. And so the more that people work together, uh, better off we are. And I think that's a common, um, common thought process.
1: Agreed. Yeah. We, we've, we've experienced that in just the few months that we have lived here so we absolutely agree with you one of the questions that we've gotten from some of our listeners is what do you think is missing from the Asheville community
0: I you know you gave me this question beforehand I thought about it for a little while um I I think that there's a very small but can be vocal piece that is true on the national stage as well that's just um too polarized so I think that um, kind of minimizing the small percentage of a population that might be super polarized but also super vocal to focus on the vast majority of the population that wants to work together get great things done like that that's something that we can improve upon
1: yeah agreed.
2: um speaking about improve upon I'm wondering specifically to you right so how have you worked to improve? And I imagine I have a bunch of ideas as to how you might have. But like um, you, you said that early on the role of CEO or president um, was, was big. I'm wondering, do you have like a peer group that you hang out with that like of other uh, executives? Do you take executive coaching? Like What things have helped you in your role um, to grow?
0: That's a great question. And I, I think that having different resources has worked best for me. So I've got uh, my husband works here. <laughs> I roped him into working twice as much for half the pay. Yay. Um, but he is a sounding board all the time. I mean, we're really bad about not talking about work 24 hours a day. So he is there for me. Um, not the healthiest thing. I'm sure you guys know a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but there are benefits to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father is still here. So he is invited to fewer and fewer meetings. But he is there whenever I need him. Um, and uh, our VP, Chuck, comes with, oh, how long has he been in the business? I don't know, 40 years. And has been a distributor representative. He ran a distributor company. So he's got great insights um, and so much history in seeing how the business changes. Um, and then we have the leadership team. I try to keep that at about 10% of our full-time employee base. And that's been really helpful. So we've made really all of our big decisions together and having that kind of uh, close intimate conversation with a group of people at the company has been so important to me, uh, so valued. Um, so that's been wonderful. And then outside of the company, just, you know, kind of having my tribe of friends and having uh, wonderful people at the chamber, the tourism, I, all kinds of people, tourism development, authority, all kinds of people who have really um, provided insight, whether they know it or not. Yeah. They've all been very helpful to me.
2: I love that. And, or do you find yourself reading books often, like wh- when you're not uh, fully in this, or maybe that reading books? You know, uh, what's his name? Warren Buffett says he just reads all day, and that is fully in. What what does um, what does time for you look like when you're not in president or chief executive mode?
0: Like when I'm really on like my like Leah time. Sure, Leah on Leah time. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, I love to be active. So I, I keep that as part of my routine. Um, if I, if I take care of myself, I will get better work done. I will be a better teammate. I will be a better leader for the company. So the gym is right next door, which is awesome. Um, but I also love getting out for a hike or a run. Uh, used to play volleyball, aspire to again before I get too old. Um, so that's one piece. And um, I read a lot of trade journals. So um, that's really fun. The Brewers Association puts out an awesome monthly magazine. Um, I love reading paper. I mean, mm. everybody has to read online. But when I have paper in my hands, I'm much happier. I absorb more. That's, that's going to be a more relaxing uh, input of information rather than like, oh, my God, I've got to read this in two minutes. So I love that. Um, and right now I'm reading a book by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. Um, called outliers oh, for sure, and it is fascinating, did you read it yeah oh my gosh i 'm only about halfway, so okay. no spoilers I, but
2: i don 't remember the back half yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember like so i one of the things mm. I love about Malcolm Gladwell is how he 'll tell he 'll make a point from every possible angle yeah. and so you know outliers i don't i don 't remember the you know chronological order of the book. But I remember multiple examples that illustrate parts of the point that he's, he's making. And I, I love those books as like great ways to share what he tried to deliver amongst friends or peers or whatever. Some so many outliers, great so stories.
0: Yeah. About exceptional people and kind of how they got there. And it's really about exceptional opportunity once you uncover all those onion layers. It's cool.
1: Love I love that. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to go home and do a we little refresh. It. We have it. <laughs> it's shelf.
0: great. Oh, yeah. And I, I made some parallels to my father because I didn't tell you he was born and raised in Jamaica, but he's full Chinese, like 100% ethnic Chinese. So his parents left China. He's never even been there. Yeah. Um, and, and so as a Jamaican Chinese came to the U.S. to get an education.
2: Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken. Notre Dame, yep. So he but claims Irish. Irish. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a big deal. Our wedding day is Notre Dame versus Georgia, Georgia. and my dad's I,
1: going nuts. A lot yeah. of my
2: a lot of my friends went to Notre Dame, and so they're they're going to be like on their phones. It's on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Notre is Dame. awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I love the spirit. Like, so he had an amazing experience there, and um, loves all the football games. Took me to one. It was like his hard sell for me to go to Notre Dame, and I loved it. But it's very cold up there. Yeah. South Bend. Um But yeah, so this, this brewery, um, his engineering company, and this brewery are the American dream. Mm-hmm. Capital letters, just no doubt about it. So um, there were opportunities along the way, and he loves to share those, going yeah. back to the Malcolm Gladwell piece. Um, but, you know, people that took him in when he couldn't go home for holidays or for the summer and things he learned and people that kept in touch and um, helped him out. It doesn't help that he's like a total charismatic people magnet so oh, i have, we, we have not
2: met your father yet but the way that like his uh the website has like the team thing and it's yes. like chief sweeper or something like that. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i forget yeah. what he calls himself like, <laughs> like a schmoozer and yes, clean up guy, clean up up guy. So it guy. is so funny yeah. i'm like i energetically i think that we are on the same wavelength I, that's my guess <laughs> I will, uh, I will always go by chief schmoozer and cleanup guy if I could, (laughs) if I could. Um, I I love that. And so when you think, I guess, about opportunity, one of the things that we're working towards new to the town is thinking about like, where can, and I, we're going to make sure that we highlight all of the, uh, companies that you're working with that are nonprofit. We're thinking about like entrepreneurship and, and business and trying to uh think about younger demographics i'm wondering how have and have you worked to create opportunities and make some magic for other groups um either in partnerships or in maybe the nonprofit volunteer work that you're doing
0: have we created opportunity like jobs for sure jobs is a great
2: great fit um like uh continued education development of staff and anything like that
0: yeah so um among our staff um education through conferences Mm -hmm. um the the annual craft brewers conference is a great one um mbaa master brewers like there's technical conferences um and so going through to those is, is always on our, our radar. Um, and we've got people that learn in different ways. So trying to like eke out, are you like a learner from a book? Do you want a class? Do you want to go online? So um, there, some of our folks have like kind of a specific, either they bring them to us or sometimes we've said, hey, you've got a ton of potential, like let's work on a plan yeah. for you and what kind of learning opportunities would be best. Um, it's, it's been great to see some of our employees start like our bar manager started parking cars and one of our bartenders is now one of our brewers and uh, one of our tour guides went to packaging and is now in the quality department. I love that. So uh, there's several stories like that and it's really been uh, great to see people come in, um, see value in the company and they're willing to start somewhere, learn, and, um, and we want to see them move up because they're already kind of invested and understand what we're trying to do.
2: I love that.
1: So I imagine that um, when you moved to Asheville, it was a, a very um, a different time in your life and it was a different city. But w- we're coming from a place where we just moved here and we're kind of trying to figure out how to make it. That's the name of the podcast, right? Making it in Asheville. What advice would you give to someone that's coming into Asheville now, either looking to start a career or looking to start a business of their own?
0: I'm so glad you asked that because I think the answer to me is really simple. Don't fake it. Hmm. Like this town is about being real. And if you bring in something that's not <clears throat> authentic either to you or that's going to resonate with the city, then I don't think it's going to stick around. And I, I think that's a great thing. So Asheville is very intent upon uh, keeping its, crafted uh funky inspired uh, and creative roots um and i i think being part of that and sort of embracing it is important Uh,
2: that's awesome uh, (laughs) great that's like seems like a, a perfect bit of advice um the last bits
1: yeah so so we're kind of transitioning to the end and we have some questions that we typically always ask our guests at the very end of the podcast um what are some of your favorite places to visit in Asheville? Restaurants, bars, cafes. Trails. You know, yeah. Where yeah. can we find Leah when she's, she's not in <laughs> the all Indian your Island? free time, which yeah. I'm sure <laughs> is. <about it. laughs> you can probably
0: most often find me on my back deck. <laughs> so come on over. It's nicely fenced in and has a lot of shade and is lovely. Mm. Um, but I, I do love hitting a trail. Um, and one of my favorite places is Bent Creek. So it's in South Asheville. You've got to go. It has just miles and miles of trails. Oh. It's really popular with bikers. Um, I'm not a biker. I can only bike on flat things, so <laughs> I can't do it. But I run out there, and you can do easy routes, long ones, hard ones, and you just go forever. Benton Creek. Amazing resource. Love it. Um, and then there are so many places to eat and drink in this town. I really could not begin. I have so many favorites. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's one of the special... <laughs> things about it is that i'm still discovering things
1: yeah there's new things coming up all the time including the food hall so right yeah that and then favorites that have been here for 10 15
0: years that we still like are still just you know gems and we love to go and support what are you know people that are now our friends in this community
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i was very fearful when we moved here um coming from new york i'm a big foodie i was very fearful that like, oh no! There's not going to be good food, or it's, I'm going to get bored. And we have not gotten bored at all. It's, oh, good. There's still close. so much to yeah. To, uh, there are yeah. so
2: ma- like so many places that we still have to try, and we're actively trying to try. Like it, but alas, yeah. So we're we're very excited to have too many options. We already feel like we do. Um, cool. Next question would be a. It's our magic wand question imagine now for a moment that we have a magic wand can grant you any wish that you would like to make Um, our audience or ourselves could make it so what might that wish be and it does not need to be profound but it could be oh my
0: gosh well in the moment i would like to have a marketing director hired tomorrow Hmm.
2: um
0: i don't know if that'll be true in december okay yeah god willing we will have somebody in place (laughs) that is making all of our lives a lot easier
2: extensive beer background for the marketing director uh
0: you know that'd be great but i have um, spoken to some people that have opened my eyes to not requiring that mm-hmm. um, because i i think that spirit and ability to learn um is that can override some of that i thought that was going to be a qualifying mm. factor yeah. and then i had an interview with someone and i was like huh I really think that this this person could do it yeah. and did not have uh, the knowledge that, that I considered a requirement. So that's pretty exciting yeah. uh, because then they'll bring other secrets mm-hmm. from other industries and their personal experiences that we don't know about yet.
2: Yeah, one of our, our hero, we have many business heroes, Seth Godin is just as clean of a uh, marketing guru and whatever as you can ask for and always says that you would a, if given choices, you hire for energy, fit, mindset, you know, stick to itiveness, whatever those intangibles that you love, and you can teach or train the industry-specific knowledge.
0: I yeah, that that's a bullseye. You said a lot better than I did, but that's what I'm finding.
2: <laughs> uh, awesome. So, marketing director, uh, imagine we're going to grant that wish wish by <laughs> December. <I think>. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. We're, we're going to find someone. Yeah.
1: Um, fantastic. Um, I was just thinking about the next thing that I was going to ask, and I totally blanked out on what it is. Uh, no, there was something else that we missed that I can't think of right now.
2: I mean, the one. Oh, yeah,
1: no. I mean, just what else have we missed? I know that there were some other things talking about the future. So there's the SMW market, which we've already kind of touched upon. But what other things are coming up for Highland um that you're excited to share? Oh.
0: Well, um, we will be unveiling our barrel and sour program in bottles. So we've had wonderful success packaging those beers and selling them on site. But with the coming S&W market, uh, we would like to sell those beers on site, both locations Mm -hmm. and in bottles. Um, So we're working on the branding for that. And that's going to be an exciting confluence.
1: Very cool. And and what kind of flavors are we talking about in this particular type of...
0: Brilliant. Well, the first one we're looking at is a barrel-aged black watch. So bourbon mm-hmm. barrels, and black watch is an imperial chocolate stout. Oh, my goodness. You're yeah. speaking my language. It's right nice. so Yeah, I'm such <laughs> like a
2: multi-beer yeah. fan. Mm-hmm. And so when you were like, oh, wine drinkers, we start with dark beer. And I was like, ah, you know what? That makes sense. I'm not like a wine drinker necessarily, but I do um, hops. Aren't my bag as Uh much as malts i guess yeah but i'm very into a bourbon (laughs) uh chocolatey imperial should
0: definitely come to that think about coming to our cold mountain release party that's our most famous beer and asheville's first seasonal beer so that's going to be in mid-november and we have a three-day celebration people start lining up sometimes before our staff gets here and we don't open till three on thursday and then we start at noon on friday and saturday so that's a huge celebration. Live bands, beer on site, beer to go, to tons of people, thousands of people. And they travel from pretty far away sometimes for that. And then Black Friday is the, our Black Watch release. We have a holiday market. We have that beer release. It's That's also like a really great celebration. That beer kind of has its own cult following. Mm-hmm. We didn't mean for it to blow up, and it did. So uh, we're, we've barrel aged it, and uh, that's going to be a whole new level for that beer. So you'll have to come back and celebrate with us. We will. Multi celebrations for
1: you. Yes. Hoppy celebrations for you, or sure. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm more of a hop, hop,
2: H- hops, and things. a little bit of sour. You're getting into the sours now.
1: Yeah, I'll have some sours right now. I'll have like a sip of the malt, and I'm like, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like dessert, you know, it's so so heavy, but um, yeah, yeah,
2: awesome. And last question. Yes. How do we find you on the internet? Because that'll be hard for people to do highlandbrewing.com <laughs> highlandbrewing.com links uh will obviously be accessible all on the you know podcast page and the episode page and thank you so much for having us what this a morning Pleasure. and that was episode 33 with leah wong ashburn of highland brewing and man what a privilege like it was really uh, it's hard to describe that felt like a very important very special uh, 90 minutes or so in in the Highland uh, Brewery.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so we interview a lot of people here at the Making International podcast, um, both people that are either just starting out or they're quite small, and people that, you know, have a larger companies. And this is probably one of the largest companies that we've ever had the opportunity to interview. Um, so we hope that you gained some. Insight if you are kind of looking to take that next step to grow, expand your company to something of this kind of scale. Um, And and also just like taking notes on how Leah is so poised Mm. and concise. And she says everything with very clear intention. And that's one of the things that really stuck out with us um, during the interview.
2: Yeah, there's a level of uh, professionalism that we... Having experienced like learned from and in and in real time try to bring into our own kind of work life and our podcast here um and so one of the things that we're left thinking about is like what would it how would we show up if we wanted to build a business that'll be around for twenty five years and more mm. right like that at twenty at the twenty five year mark it's poised to do its best year, its biggest year, its most growth potentially um and it's questions like that that really kind of get us excited so i hope that we hope that you really enjoyed this episode we certainly loved it we are um thrilled to have had the opportunity to hear the story to share the story um and feels like there was no better interview to end season two and end 2019 uh as an interview with and so thank you uh everyone at highland it was it was lovely
1: yeah, definitely. And so this will be the last interview of season two. We will release a few more episodes with just Tony and I recapping the season, talking about some highlights. Um, so stay tuned for that over the holidays. And if there is something that you want to learn more about from this episode, as always, you can visit the show notes page, which is makingitinashville.com forward slash 033. You'll find links. You'll find more details about the highlights from this episode.
2: Certainly. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please let us know. And the best way to let us know is by uh, liking or reviewing on Apple Podcasts. That's like the de facto place where you leave a review for podcasts. And in doing so, you help the stories of our guests get heard. Um, That is how we show up in searches when people look up what to listen to. So every like and review truly means the world to both us and our guests so thanks in advance
1: and if you would like to be on the podcast or you know someone that you think would be a great interviewee for the making it in nashville podcast you can nominate them at making forward slash podcast
2: all right that was episode 33 that was the final episode of season final interview episode of season two uh, time is flying. The end of the year is upon us. We have, you know, Christmas playlists playing in the background. And uh, it time seems like it's flown. But thank you, listener, for making it this far in this episode. Thank you for supporting us through the season so far. The end of the season is going to be loaded with value because it's recapping all of the interviews we've had so far this season and the episodes we put out. So please uh, stick around with us, enjoy us over the holiday season, and we're really, really excited about season three. Uh, Lots of good conversations and episodes to come. So here's to finishing 2019 strong and all of the good things that come in 2020. High five, Sarah.